He's one of Ireland's most sinister and twisted killers who groomed his vulnerable victim and made her take a starring role in her own murder. In this two-part Crime World special, written by Neve O'Connor, we look back on the gruesome details of Graeme Dwyer's relationship with Elaine O'Hara and her tragic, brutal murder. We hear the text messages that passed between them in the days before her death and get a glimpse of the sickening bloodlust hidden inside this seemingly ordinary family man. And we learn how, over a year after her death, a series of miracles would lead police to Elaine O'Hara's body and to her killer. The story of Graeme Dwyer and Elaine O'Hara is a shocking one, and even I find parts of it difficult to listen to. So if you're squeamish, this episode isn't one for you, and it definitely isn't one for a younger audience, so be mindful where you listen to it. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Tuesday, August 21, 2012. Elaine O'Hara dried her eyes and reached for her glasses. She pulled the ends of her dressing gown belt tight, nudged her feet into a pair of slippers and shuffled along a sterile corridor in the psychiatric hospital that had become a home away from home. St Edmundsbury in Lucan, County Dublin, was really more than that now, now that her flat wasn't safe anymore. It was her refuge. The 36-year-old gripped her mobile phone as she walked. If she didn't text Sir back soon, he was going to kill her. She'd been putting it off after what he'd messaged yesterday. He was, well, he was freaking her out. In the smoking room, she lit up a Marlboro light and took a deep drag. Sir hated the smell of stale smoke in her place, but she didn't have to worry about that here either. She glanced at her phone and she reread the previous day's text that had upset her so much. Morning, slave. Look forward to seeing you Wednesday. I'm not being stabbed. Okay. But you must take some sort of punishment. I know. What kind of punishment would you like? Choices are hard anal with stabbing and choking. Whipping till bleeding. Chained overnight in a forest. Choked unconscious. If you don't pick one, then it's all four. I don't know, sir. Sorry, Doc came in. Sir, you know I can't make choices. Okay. Overnight in woods. Sir... I'll take stabbing. Okay. But I must see blood. Okay. And I want to do it outdoors. Please, sir. Indoors? Why? I'm afraid if outdoors, you might kill me. I won't kill you. Her head raced. Tomorrow she would be discharged and could go back to her own apartment after more than five weeks' treatment, helping her to stamp out the suicidal thoughts. Tomorrow, she got her life back. She could sleep in her own bed, in her own apartment, and see her lovely little niece and get ready for the Tall Ships Festival. Tomorrow, 
Sir could also use the key she didn't want to give him to her apartment to let himself in whenever he wanted. She needed to make sure that he wasn't angry. She typed. Are you mad at me, sir? No, but you must be punished for trying to kill yourself without me and for being unavailable for so long. Yes, sir, I know. Master needs to punish slave. I'm going to get blood on my knife for this. A lot of blood. And then we can move on. Yes, sir. That's my good slave. Master is very horny. And needs to put his cock in slave. Master, may I ask you something? Yes, but don't upset me before I'm about to cut you. Do you go by the Gorian way? And is it just a fantasy? Gorian, I mean. It's a real lifestyle that people really live by. Yes, you are my slave, but I need you to be serving me, not stuck in hospital. I wish I could fuck you on my lunch break. How do we do that, Master? You need to get out of hospital and serve me. Which she wanted to do, but Sir always took things too far. The problems that had led her to the BDSM world had begun when she was 12 and being bullied. She'd started acting out a little play in her head about being tied up. The famous psychiatrist, Dr. Anthony Clare, had taken a big interest in her case. She told him she felt like a boy trapped in a girl's body. And blood tests had shown she'd elevated testosterone levels. Dr. Clare was fantastic, but when he died in 2007, it was nearly as bad as losing her mother five years earlier. She'd needed him. Another psychiatrist, Dr. Matt Murphy, had taken over and he explained that people in severe mental anguish often resorted to physical pain to explain the pain in their head. But even knowing that didn't help her to stop. Just the other day, she'd burned her arm with a hot iron. It was going to take a year to heal, according to the incident report filed in her medical notes. Welcome to her messed up world. It was her 14th admission to the hospital. She knew it was only a matter of time before that number went up again, especially if Sir didn't give her some space. But he was like the opposite to her, confident and in control. He was an architect who drove a flash car and he lived in Fox Rock. He was married to another architect and had two young children with his wife. The thought that she might cause the little ones any pain made her want to hurt herself. Not that she needed an excuse. Elaine had taken so many prescribed drugs and seen so many experts about her problems over the years that she didn't even have the confidence to say hello to people anymore. It felt like everything she did was wrong, except... She wanted to live. Why couldn't Sir understand that? Why did he have to keep talking about killing her? Sir, please stop. You want me to be in here forever. Can't we just have a a normal SM relationship without this? Please, Sir. Okay. But promise me next time you fall down that I end you. Hopefully you'll be okay, though. Okay, I promise, Sir. I mean it now. I will get into trouble if I don't do it at this stage. What do you mean? How could you get into trouble? It's suicide. It's fucking suicide. Don't be troubling itself. It's suicide. No one will look into it. I want to watch as well. And be there for you. So you won't be lonely. Shit. 
that shit. I am lonely all the time, and you're not there. That's how I get like this. You just want a hard-on. You'd be fucking selfish. Sir, sorry. Just get angry talking about it. I just want to try again. Be a good person, slave, friend. And I want to try and have a normal life without talking and thinking about that. Please, let me try. Okay. Except she didn't believe him. Sir never kept his word. Not about offering to impregnate her when she said she really wanted a baby, and not about no more cutting. Why can't my punishments be like that, sir? Living on bread and butter for a week. I'll take what you give, sir, but can have some punishments like that, or live on five a day, and you take my cards. Just normal. It's up to me, and you have a big punishment coming. Getting knifed in the guts. I know, sir. I better be tied up good, sir. Please, not outdoors, please. What if we get caught? We won't get caught. I'm not leaving my apartment. You will have to drag me out. You will do what you're fucking told. I want outdoor play. And you're going to follow instructions or I will double punishment. Or hang you. How do you know we won't get caught? I found a really, really remote place. No one will find us. Sir, do I have to be naked? It's very deep in the forest. And yes, you do. I don't want blood over your clothes. Now I'm terrified. Trust me. It'll be exciting. Sure, sir. So what time do you want me from tomorrow, sir? I was going to see my niece before I went home, as there are halls the next two weeks. 5.30. Yes, sir. Do I have to drive, sir? A bit, yes. Now I'm really scared. And I have to meet my counsellor. Don't be scared. Look forward to being reunited with Master. I'm trying, sir. Just in case you're wondering, sir, you never came up in conversation with counsellor. That's good. No one should know about me. They don't know specifically about you. Just the general. Like what? Like I meet people. For BDSM. Okay, that's cool. They'd still find me way back in your emails and alt history if you went missing, so relax. She put the phone away in case she texted something that made him worse. She had a counselling session to go to. Her cognitive behavioural therapist, Stuart Colquhoun, had already seen the wounds that Sir had inflicted. She should just tell him Sir's name in case anything happened. She'd shown Edna Lillis the cuts Sir had made on her stomach about five months previously, and she'd been appalled. She could text Edna Sir's name so someone would have it, except she didn't. She was still fretting at around 11pm that night when Rosetta Callan, a staff nurse of over 40 years, came and sat on the side of her bed. What's up? I'm just pissed off. It was hard not to open up to someone like Rosetta with her calm manner and soothing voice. When she asked why Elaine couldn't hold back anymore, she said how scared she was of a man she'd met. They'd met on alt.com profile for people into BDSM. 
when she declared that she'd love to serve a master and was into purpose humiliation. Elaine had stated that she was looking for someone who hopefully wants a 24-7 slave. Rosetta gripped her hand. You need to call the guardie and tell them this man is harassing you, she said firmly. Elaine sighed. I can't. He's young kids and I wouldn't like to harm him by going to the guardie. Elaine had first met Rosetta when she was 16, 20 years ago. She was the perfect person to confide in, to tell Sir's name. Except if he found out she'd blabbed when he was hurting her and forcing her to tell him the truth, she was dead. If Elaine ever did say Sir's name, he'd find out about it and he'd kill her. Wednesday, August 22nd, 2012. Sir was aware of how hard his heart was beating, but the adrenaline pumping through his veins had nothing to do with the 13 kilometres he'd to cycle to work on Lower Bagot Street. He'd been fantasising about the day for years. He'd laid the groundwork ever since getting back in touch with his slave 17 months previously. It had been a shitty few years. He'd a degree, experience and was a director in A&D Wechert's architects firm, but he was permanently broke. Even petrol had hit a record cost at €170 per litre. And that's why he was on the bike. It was one thing having to cope with living a life in the suburbs as Mr. 9 to 5, when he could afford a nice car, decent holiday and fine dining. But the collapse of the building industry had caused his wages to drop by almost 15%. His salary of 70000 didn't leave anything over after taxes, contributions, pensions, mortgage, a teenage son from a previous relationship and two young children. In the old days, he'd have had some chance of getting ahead by stepping onto the property ladder, maybe buying a fixer-upper, selling it on and clearing a hundred grand in the process. But the recession had changed all that. It wasn't just that there was simply nothing left after he paid the bills, there was less than nothing left. Basic entitlements like medical insurance had become, in the current climate, excessive. It was enough to make anyone feel like a non-entity, let alone someone like him who believed that women were chattels and who craved inflicting extreme violence on them. Today, however, he was going to turn things around and experience something that not even money could buy. The book hunting special 119 with the Coco Bolo handle and fixed blade in a black leather scabbard had arrived in the office by courier the previous day. Once in work, he removed his bicycle helmet and tucked his trousers out of his socks. As soon as he was behind his desk, he got his burner phone out and studied her latest text. It was imperative that his slave didn't try to exercise her will, denying him of the one thing that he wanted from her. He'd planned every detail so nothing would come back to him. Murder was going to give him his mojo back. This place, hospital, although a pain in the ass at times, is safe. And because I know what's coming, I don't want to leave. It'll be okay. Trust me. 
When you say you know what's coming next, what do you mean? Well, tonight. And the talk about killing and stuff. But at the moment, mainly tonight, I'm scared. Did you know, sir, that I'm scared of you? You have this hold over me that terrifies me. That's good for you, to feel owned, and that your life is in my hands every time you submit to me. I love that. Thank you. Do not fear death. Sir, can I ask a favour? Yes. Please don't mention killing for a while, until I settle back to life. Please, sir. But tonight's punishment will be like me pretending to do someone for real, okay? He'd have to say that in case she refused to do what he said. He needed to get her to a remote wood on Killakee Mountain so he could kill her and not have to worry about getting rid of her body. He'd gone there on a recce the previous evening. The text came thick and fast over the rest of the day. Got out earlier than expected. It's official, I'm out. On way home now. Well done. I'm delighted. Any instructions, sir? Have a bath. Make sure cunt shaved. No underwear. Not even a bra. Loose clothes. Footwear from mud. Make sure you're fed. And take a painkiller. Can I do what I want until I am needed? Like what? I don't know yet. Just anything I want to do. You'll be in a lot of pain later. And next few days. Is it going to be that bad? I'm going to be busy the next few days. Tall ships. You will have stab wounds. You know the drill. Last few did not bleed. These will. Sir, how many? As many as I like. Yes, sir. I want you to park at Changana Cemetery at 5.30. Leave your iPhone at home. Just bring slave phone and keys. You will get further instructions there. Sir, are we doing this if it's raining? Are you coming back to my place? I need to clean. It's dirty. Yes, if it's raining. No, I won't be back at your place. No offence, sir, but do we have to do it in the rain? It's cold. Don't worry. It's never as bad as you think it's going to be. Yes, sir. Don't be nervous. And enjoy being told what to do. Easier said than done, sir. Empty yourself and become nothing. You are property and a piece of slave meat. Your only job is to serve. Can I wear socks with runners? Can I bring inhaler? Didn't have time to eat. Will we be late back? Yes to socks, leave inhaler and car. You should be back at car by eight. More painful getting stabbed on empty stomach. Suit yourself. See you in a bit. X. Did they close the recycling place at Changana? Stay on outer bit, on way in. A lot of kids I work with live around here. At 1600 hours, Sir turned his personal phone off, so his movements could not be traced. At 1722, slave arrived. Here, sir. Okay. Take only keys and slave phone. Make your way on footpath next door and text me in middle. Please, let me take my inhaler, sir. Okay. Okay, sir. Is the park with the playing fields in the top part or bottom? Okay. Cross rail bridge into next park near cliffs. I'm lost. I'm in a football field now. Look for railway bridge near footpath. Here now. Where's park? Cross bridge. Head for opposite end of park near steps to sea. 
Yes. Steps here. Go down to shore. And wait. Thirteen months later, Tuesday, September 10th, 2013. The anglers standing on Sally's Bridge, one of three that crossed the Vartry Reservoir in Ireland's highest village, Roundwood, County Wicklow, tried to work out what exactly they were looking at. Something was glinting in the water and could be seen on the river's flatbeds beneath them. It looked like the ring of a bull's nose. James Fegan, his brother William, and their childhood friend Mick Quinn were local men. James could not remember the water level ever sinking this low before, and he was in his 40s. They were 10 days into September now, but the rain still hadn't come. When would the heatwave end? Everything about this summer was different. Usually the teenagers leapt off the bridge walls, arms in the air, Geronimo style, and the roads were clogged with cyclists. But this year had been the hottest since 1995 and it was just too hot. The average summer water drop was 20 feet in some places. The level was down to just a single foot. It was the opposite situation the previous summer, 2012, when the water level had been overflowing and was at an all-time high after one of the wettest summers on record. Mark worked with granite. He had a 20-foot tension strap in his car with a metal hook attached to one end. He went to the back of the vehicle, got it out, hopped up on the wall and fired the hook into the water, attempting to snag whatever it was that was glinting. The men exchanged glances as the hook took purchase and up came a rusty chain with a set of handcuffs from the water. Mark tossed the hook back in and this time fished out long straps with padded restraints and buckles. A harness, certainly. But for what? Nervous laughter now, as a ball gag, like the one the gimp in the cellar wore in Pulp Fiction. Attached to a strap and buckle was hoisted from under the cloudy silt. Then a black blindfold with a Velcro strap and a woman's turquoise hoodie and vest encrusted with dirt. They stacked the items on the bridge wall and went their separate ways. Except in the car, William just couldn't shake a niggling feeling. Something wasn't right. So the following morning he went back. When he saw the items were still on the wall, he packed them into a bag and brought them down to the local police station, where a young Garda, James O'Donoghue, was on duty. William's niggling feeling would be the first miracle in the case. And what James did next was another. Three days later, Friday, September 13th, 2013. The second miracle was one of timing. When Magali Vernet pushed aside branches in forestry at Killikey Mountains in Rathfarnham, Dublin. She was walking a route that she covered most days of the week. The French dog trainer and owner of Wonder Walkie's dog walking service had already loaded the dogs she'd with her into the back of her car, winding up an hour-long trek. 
But her own cocker spaniel cross, Millie, hadn't come out of the woods and wasn't responding to her calls. Three days after the strange find in the reservoir had set off William Fegan's alarm bells in a different county, Magali was following the scratching sound, suspecting that Millie had found another bone. The little King Charles-type dog had previously wobbled out of the forestry with a deer leg, the hoof still attached, which Magali had placed on a pile of blocks in a clearing along with two other bones, including one six inches long that Millie had retrieved the previous month. The spot, just past the viewing point that looks right across South County Dublin, was blocked by the landowner Frank Doyle's barrier, but Magali was one of a handful of keyholders. About five metres into the spruce tree wood, and with still no sign of the dog, Magali spotted a pair of mucky tracksuit bottoms lying in the grass and heather. Nudging them, she felt something like a shoe under her own foot. Then Millie appeared from the undergrowth, with two bones and white greasy material in her mouth. Unnerved, Magali hurried back to her car. And once home, she rang the landowner, Frank Doyle, and a friend to tell them what she'd seen. Doyle was used to courting couples on his land. They'd left condoms and McDonald's bags behind. But he thought something funny was going on after coming across strings on trees during a hunting expedition the previous year. By 6pm when the trio returned to the spot, that was Magali Doyle and Magali's friend, there was simply no mistaking what they were looking at on the grass. It was a jawbone and it was unquestionably human. Monday, September 16th, 2012. Back in Roundwood, Garda James O'Donoghue returned to Sally's Bridge for the third time since William Fegan had delivered the strange items retrieved from the water to the station. Visibility had been nil on each of James's previous visits and the rain had finally come. The items found at the spot previously were safely stored in evidence bags in the station, bar the clothing. The turquoise hoodie and a white vest were sodden and he'd hung them upstairs back in the barracks. The Garda had returned on Saturday, September 14th, when the weather was better and spotted something glittering in the water. He'd managed to walk from the bank along the flatbeds on that occasion, but the silt had risen up and a squall obscured his view. But today, Monday, September 16th, the weather was good. He pulled his wellies on and strode across. There was no sign of whatever had been shining, but he was sure he was in the right spot. He knelt down, put his hands into the water and pushed around. And soon he felt something and pulled out a bondage mask with zips over the holes for the eyes and the mouth and a jangling set of keys, complete with loyalty cards still attached. For Dunn's, Dunn stores Apple Green and Super Quinn. The following day, he picked up the phone and he called Dunn stores, identifying himself and asking for details of whoever was responsible for the records kept on loyalty cards. 
He learned that the card on the keys belonged to a woman called Elaine O'Hara with an address in Bellarmine, Stepaside. Elaine O'Hara had been reported a missing person some 13 months previously. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.